That's 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Now for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to marry. But since there is so much immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this is a concession, not a command. I wish that all men were as I am. But each man has his own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Now to the unmarried and to the widows, I say this. It is good for them to stay unmarried, as I am. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married I give this command, not I, but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does... She must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and a husband must not divorce his wife. To the rest I say this, I, not the Lord. If any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife. And the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let him do so. A believing man or woman is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Nevertheless, each one should retain the place in life that the Lord assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not become circumcised. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Each one should remain in the situation which he was when God called him. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although, if you can gain your freedom, do so. For he who was a slave when he was called by the Lord is the Lord's freed man. Similarly, he who was a free man when he was called is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brothers, each man, as responsible to God, should remain in the situation God called him to. This is the word of our Lord. Uh, let's pray. <clears throat> Father, uh, thank you so much for this uh, amazing passage from Scripture. And <clears throat> we pray for ourselves as we pray for the children in Kids Church, that as we uh, consider your word, that you would be changing our minds, our attitudes and our behaviour, that we would be people who are more like our Lord Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen. It is the day for coughing, isn't it? Um, there's got to be something 
uh, more to being spiritual than just trusting in Jesus and obeying God. Now, we might not actually hear people bluntly saying this. Uh, it's usually the sort of thing that's more subtle. Uh, perhaps it's the uh, new and fresh experience of God which will bring us closer to God than what we are already in Christ uh, that we're tempted by. Or it may be that by uh, denying ourselves the enjoyment of certain foods and certain other pleasurable things, that uh, we can become more spiritual, that we can become closer to God. And then there's the matter of sex and marriage. Um, there are churches where if someone uh, wants to be a church leader of a particular type, then they are required to never marry and to never have sex. Uh, have I got your attention? I think so. And what that does, though, is it creates a special class of Christians, doesn't it? Uh, people who are supposedly closer to God uh, than the rest of us who simply put our trust in Christ and seek to obey him. Now, it seems that there was a, an issue something like this uh, in a different form, which <clears throat> had emerged in the church in Corinth. Uh, you may remember that uh, when Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, uh, that uh, he was actually based in Ephesus, in modern-day Turkey. Uh, however, it had been reported to him that there were a few problems in the Corinthian church by people who uh, <clears throat> travelled to and from Ephesus and Corinth, uh, trading perhaps, uh, and uh, that uh, Paul has had to deal with some of those problems. And we've looked at some of those problems in the series so far. What were some of the pro key problems that um, we've seen that were in the Corinthian church? Can anyone think of any? What were some of the key problems? <clears throat> yeah, factions. They were following... There was disunity. Uh, they were um, uh, allying themselves in terms of their thinking around certain leaders. And uh, a key issue there was wrong views on, on wisdom. So that was one of the issues uh, that Paul has had to uh, deal with them. Uh, any other issues you can think of? Yeah, we saw that the other week, didn't we? There was one of the Christians was suing another Christian in court um, to get money, uh, so that was a problem. Any other? Sexual immorality was a problem, wasn't it? Remember the guy who was one of the one of the men in the church was um, having sex with his um, stepmother, uh, and uh, the, ch the related issue of lack of church discipline. No one was doing anything about that. And last week we saw in chapter 6 the issue of the use of prostitutes um, in the church as well. So it was one uh, messy church situation. Um, now these were the issues that um, Paul had been told about by other people. And uh, he raised them with the Corinthian church. But he had also received a letter from the Corinthian church uh, because they had some issues that they wanted to raise with Paul. Not about Paul, but about they had some issues um, that they wanted to um, raise with him. 
If you open up your Bibles at um, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, we see that this is now a turning point in the letter because thus far Paul has been dealing with the issues that he wanted to raise with them, but now uh, he addresses the issues which they have raised with him in their letter. So chapter 7, verse 1, it's, he, Paul says, now for, the let, now for the matters that you wrote about. And then we see in the rest of the letter that this kind of phrase keeps on coming up. Uh, uh, have a look at some verses with me. Uh, for example, in chapter 7, verse 25, Paul says, he introduces that by saying, now about virgins. Um, chapter 8, verse 1. He says, now about food offered to idols. Chapter 12, verse 1, now about spiritual gifts. Um, <clears throat> chapter 16, verse 1, now about the collection. Um, chapter 16, verse 12, now about our brother Apollos. That is, it seems that these are the issues which they have raised with Paul in their letter to him, and so now he's working through those issues with them. He's answering their questions. And that is actually very important in terms of us understanding our passage today. I'm going to read uh, part of that section again. I'm going to read to you from verses, chapter 7, verses 1 to 7. We'll have a look at that and then we'll move on to the rest of the, uh, the passage. Uh, let's pick it up at chapter 7, verse 1. Now for the matters you wrote about. It is good for a man not to marry. But since there is so much immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman uh, should have her own husband. The husband should fulfil his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife's body does not belong to her alone but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. Do not deprive each other, except by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again, so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all men were as I, but each man has his own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. This is a passage which can make us feel a tad uncomfortable <clears throat> for a couple of reasons. Um, on first glance, it sounds just a little bit like saying that, that the saying, it sounds a little bit like Paul is saying that marriage is not good. Um, <clears throat> that, well, if you, if you can't control your sex drive, then sure, uh, get married. Um, but he'd rather all Christian men stay single like him, um, as if marriage is second best. <clears throat> Makes us feel a bit uncomfortable. <clears throat> Seems, and we'd, we'd wonder, well, would, how does that fit in with Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, when... God actually said, well, it's actually not good for the man to be alone. <laughs> this is why he created uh, Eve. What are we to make of that? 
<clears throat> I mentioned last week that um, first century Greek, uh, written Greek, um, had no punctuation marks, um, no full stops, no um, question marks, no commas. Uh, it didn't uh, have upper or lower case, everything was uppercase. Had no spaces between words. Uh, it's really quite difficult to, um, <coughs> for the, the scholars to actually put that into um, a text which is um, readable for us. <coughs> but it does mean that it had no inverted commas for quotations. And so the Bible translators need to make some decisions um, about those things. So the question then is, when it says in verse 1, it is good for a man not to marry, whose statement is that? Uh, is it Paul saying that to the Corinthians? Or is this one of those things which they have said to him? Like the slogans we looked at uh, last week in chapter 6, verse 12, everything is permissible for me, and so on. Now, it seems <clears throat> on balance that Paul is quoting what they have said to him. And, and you see uh, that that's actually noted in the footnote of your NIV, uh, Pew Bible, <clears throat> where that's, um, uh, that uh, verse is uh, in inverted commas as a quotation. Indeed, it's the way that that's been translated in other translations, such as the ESV, um, with the inverted comma quotation marks. It appears that some in the Corinthian church believed that if they abstained from sex, um, even within marriage, then they, they, they attain a higher level of spirituality. And they may even have cited Paul's example as a single man uh, in order to back up um, this, this claim. Why would they think this? Again, last week we saw that uh, the Greeks uh, wrongly valued the spirit more than they valued the body, which is why Paul had to assert to them that our bodies are incredibly valuable in, in God's sight, that we will have resurrection bodies. Uh, but this view that the, the spirit was more valuable than the body had led some to think, well, therefore it doesn't matter what we do with our bodies, and so therefore sexual immorality is okay for Christians, which of course it's not. But the flip side to that thinking <coughs> is that um, if it's our bodies that count, uh, sorry, if it's our spirits that God values, then our bodies uh, are not valued, our bodies are somehow bad, and so if our bodies are bad, then there is something evil about deriving physical pleasure, um, the pleasure that comes from sex. And so therefore, sex is unspiritual. And it seems that some married people in the Corinthian church are therefore depriving their spouse of sex and even changing their status from married to unmarried to be more spiritual. Next week, in the second half of chapter 7, we'll see that there are clear advantages for Christians in being single, but not for these reasons. 
In verse 7, uh, Paul alludes <clears throat> to the advantages that he experienced being a single man in terms of gospel ministry. But he adds that the ability to remain celibate uh, is a gift which God had given him. And it's not a gift that God gives to everyone. <laughs> that God actually gives a variety of... He gives different gifts to different people. And that just happens to be a gift that God has given to him. So let's get more into the passage. Uh, in verse 2, Paul says that there is so much immorality going on. Now, uh, there was immorality was rife in the city of Corinth, but it seems that the immorality was going on in, inside the church. As I mentioned in chapter 6, uh, verses 15 to 16, he had to warn them against visiting prostitutes. And perhaps that's going on in the church, perhaps even an outcome of what was not going on at home. Which means that in verses 2 to 5, we have this extraordinary situation where Paul has to instruct married couples to have sex with each other. Now, the Bible's not boring, friends, is it? This is um, quite an interesting passage of Scripture. In verse 2... Each man should have his own wife. Now, that doesn't mean to take up a wife, to become married. Uh, in biblical thinking, uh, to have your own wife means to have that one flesh union uh, with your wife. And likewise, each woman is to have the one flesh union with her husband. Notice... Uh, that the emphasis for both husband and wife is not on being served by the other. Um, there is no hint of sexual exploitation going on here. Uh, it is not about uh, one partner demanding um, sex from the other. Instead, we are to use our bodies in the service of the other person for their benefit and for their pleasure. Because in the profound one flesh union of marriage, Paul points out here that our bodies not only belong to ourselves, but that our bodies belong to our spouse. You know, um, in the traditional marriage vows, which I happen to really like, by the way, when the groom gives the ring to the bride, this is what he um, promises to her. And I quote, he says, With this ring I wed you, with my body I serve you, with all that I am and all that I have, I honour you in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Kind of captures the thought here, doesn't it? The idea of, it's a distinctly Christian view of relationships. And here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, it is a rather distinctively Christian, Christ-like view of sex. That it is, we, we do not seek our own pleasure, we seek the pleasure of the other. And so the married Christians who thought that they were being more spiritual by being celibate, they're wrong. They are depriving their, their spouse 
and they are subjecting their spouse to the temptations of Satan. But if one of them, Paul says, look, if, if either of you want to actually remain apart, then sure, here's a tip, remain apart for a little while so that you can be praying with each other and then come together in the one flesh union and serve one another with your bodies. They're married. Neither of them should be trying to change their one flesh union by being celibate and then forcing it on their spouse. Because the truly spiritual person is the one who doesn't try to change that kind of situation. The truly spiritual person is the one who trusts in Christ, who serves God in whatever circumstance they find themselves in. And that actually is a principle which helps to make sense of three other matters that arise in today's passage. We're going to go through those three other matters. Look, they all deserve a sermon on their own, but we're just going to hit the main points um, so we get the, uh, the, the wood for the trees. Uh, firstly, in verses 8 and 9, Paul addresses the unmarried and widows in the congregation. I'm going to read from verse 8. Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I am. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Now, the word that is translated unmarried can also be translated as widowers. The issue there is that in the ancient world, a lot of languages had a word for widows because that was the more common situation. But they, they, they had much fewer words for the situation of a man whose wife died, the widower. The Greeks had one word for it, but it was not in use at the time that the New Testament was written. And uh, so the, uh, the more generic term, unmarried, uh, it tended to be used <coughs> to refer to widowers. And in the context of this passage where Paul, going through these various sets of relationships, is talking about the male and the female side by side in each of the sets of the relationships, it seems uh, that it best fits the context here uh, to understand this as being uh, that he's writing to the widowers and the widows. And so if someone has lost their spouse, um, there are advantages in um, remaining in that situation of being unmarried. Uh, later in verse 39, uh, in, which we'll look at next week, in Paul's opinion, uh, a widow uh, may be um, happier if she stays that way rather than uh, remarrying. Um, Paul does not give his reasons for that. Um, but the point here is that it's not more spiritual to stay unmarried. Um, and so if someone does not have the gift of celibacy and has the opportunity to marry, then they should. Because whether you're married or whether you're single, what's the truly important thing? Holiness. That's what's important. Secondly, in verses 10 through to 11, there are those who are tempted to change their status from married to not married. Let me read verse 10. To the married I give this command, 
not I, uh, but the Lord, because Jesus had actually spoken directly about this situation. Uh, A wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and a husband must not divorce his wife. Uh, Look, there's a month of sermons that could take place on this issue. This is a complex issue. But a key point here is that Paul is able to refer to Jesus. Um, In Matthew chapter 19, uh, Jesus condemned the practice of men who were uh, divorcing their wives so that they could marry their girlfriend. Just marry someone else and get the divorce happened, then you can remarry and it actually just legitimises serial adultery. God's word does allow for divorce. Um, Passages like Deuteronomy chapter 19 um, and so on. Um, Matthew 26, I think it is, not Matthew 19. Um, God's word does allow for divorce, but it's not his desire. Malachi chapter 2, God hates divorce, uh, but he does allow for divorce, but it's only ever a concession to our human fallenness. When the covenant is broken, um, through adultery, certainly, and arguably through issues such as desertion and abuse and so on. But even so, forgiveness and reconciliation are what we um, as Christians aim for first um, prior to that. The truly spiritual person will be committed to their marriage which is a far cry from anyone in Corinth who thought that they would somehow become more spiritual by, become, by changing their status from married to unmarried and being celibate. They should stay as they are, married. Third issue. In verses 12 to 16, Paul deals with a common situation where a Christian is married to a non-Christian. And this happens for a variety of reasons, of course, Um, perhaps by choice or perhaps through an arranged marriage uh, or very often uh, where a person becomes a Christian when they are already married and their spouse uh, is not converted as they become converted. In either situation, it's it's hard going uh, being a Christian married to a non-Christian Um, in terms of uh, not being able to share that which is most valuable and important in your life with the the person who's most valuable and important in your life, uh, no matter how nice their spouse might be. Have a look at verse 12. To the rest I say this, I, not the Lord. So Jesus didn't speak directly on this. Doesn't make it any less authoritative. If any brother has a wife, who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves 
let him do so. A believing man or woman is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Now, in Corinth, so we see the complexities there. In Corinth, there may have been the additional complexity that, and that being the thought that the non-Christian spouse actually defiles the Christian spiritually uh, so that divorce would somehow be more spiritual. And yet here Paul says the opposite, doesn't he? In verse 14, which I think is critical, uh, it is the Christian who actually sanctifies the unbelieving spouse. The Bible never teaches that Christians should marry non-Christians as a matter of choice and so as to evangelise them. Quite the opposite. Christians are to marry within the family of God. However, when a Christian is married to a non-Christian, in verse 15, if the non-Christian over time just can't handle that, and if the non-Christian spouse wants out, then the Christian is not bound to the marriage. Um, we, are, we are to live at peace with people. We don't fight that. We might we don't try to stop the force the non-Christian to be staying in the marriage that they don't want to be a part of. Uh, by the way, I don't think that this is necessarily dealing with the quick question of um, divorce and remarriage, as it sometimes is applied to that situation. Um, I think we need to, uh, to look at other parts of the scripture in respect to that. Uh, I think that this is dealing with the issue of being at peace, uh, living at peace with all people. But if that is not the case and the non-Christian wants to stay married, then true spirituality will mean commitment to the marriage. So that by our lives and by our words, the one we love, our non-Christian wife or our non-Christian husband, our children, that by our presence and our ministry and our love, and our words, that one day they might actually um, be attracted to the Lord Jesus Christ and put their faith in him. That they become sanctified through us. Now, uh, you and I may not think that um, for one moment that we would become more spiritual by denying ourselves the good gifts of God in creation, like sex and marriage, but there is a bigger principle here which I think is helpful for, for all of us. And uh, we see it in verse 20, if you'd like to look at that. In verse 20, uh, Paul says, Each one should remain in the situation he was in when God called him. And to talk about the verses around that, uh, in verses 18 and 19, uh, he says, If you are a Jew who now trusts in Jesus, that is, if you're circumcised, then you don't have to stop um, being a Jew. Uh, or if you're a Gentile who trusts in Jesus, 
you don't have to stop being a Gentile and now, and now start becoming a Jew. You don't have to be circumcised. In fact, you shouldn't. Because circumcised or not circumcised, um, either status does not make you any more spiritual. Or in verse 21, uh, Paul addresses, apparently there were slaves in the Corinthian church. And he addresses the slaves. Uh, and he says that if they are able to change their um, situation of being slaves, if they're able to become free men, then, then sure, go for it. But if they can't, then they ought not to be troubled by that. They ought not to be troubled by the fact that they are slaves. Now why? Well, verse 22. For he who was a slave when he was called by the Lord is now the Lord's freed man. Similarly, he who was a free man when he was called, well, he's actually now Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Do not think that you need to do something else, that you need to change your status, that you need to become... You've been bought at a price, and that price is the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. So do not enslave yourself to human philosophies and to human practices. Brothers, each man is responsible to God should remain in the situation God called him to. Now some of the Corinthians uh, were tempted to dissolve their marriages in favour of celibacy to become more spiritual. And yet you and I, we are only too aware, we are painfully and dreadfully aware of the of the appalling immorality which results from enforced celibacy, especially in the name of being spiritual. Although our temptation uh, is to think that I could be more spiritual, uh, maybe if only I was married to someone else. Or if I had a different family, or if I had a, a different job. If I, sometimes it might be helpful to change your job, by the way. <clears throat> when I was a non-Christian, I had a part-time job working in the gambling industry, um, selling bets to people for horse races. Uh, when I became a Christian, when God called me, uh, I developed a repugnance uh, to the, the greed and the exploitation of poor people uh, that was everything about that industry. And so I quit. Quitting that job didn't make me more spiritual. I got a new job working as a builder's labourer on a construction site. And the language, uh, the words... The, attitude, the dreadful attitudes towards women that were going into my brain through my ears certainly didn't make me more spiritual. I had to expunge my brain. <laughs> However, 
sometimes it's not our circumstances which we need to change so much as it is we who need to change. Uh, your marriage, your family situation, your workplace may not always be ideal, but it is where God has placed you to sanctify those relationships that through your faith, <clears throat> that through your words, that through your uh, commitment to people, that through your witness in that sphere of life, that others might actually come to know Jesus and put their trust in him. That is being truly spiritual. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that we have been bought at a price. We pray that we would be people who find our joy and our fulfilment and our satisfaction in that, no matter our circumstances. Father, help us to be people who are committed to serving you in the state of life, the situation that you have placed us in. And may we have such a grasp of how... Uh, how uh, fully that we are in relationship with you through Jesus, that we would not seek uh, alternate spiritualities to somehow add to that. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you the for the price that's been paid for us. And we pray that we would be men and women and boys and girls who live that out in our relationships. In Jesus' name, amen.